0: Hey friends, uh, today's message is a supplemental podcast. Uh, My name's Norton, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver Church, and this year we are doing a project, um, most of us at least, of reading through the Bible in a year together. And we are a little bit more than halfway through the year, which means uh, we've been reading a lot of the Old Testament, As you know, we're going through it mostly in order. We've jumped out of order a little bit. For the most part, we've been reading a lot of the Old Testament. Um, And we're also deep in the prophets right now. So uh, literally, I finished the book of Jeremiah this morning. We've been in Jeremiah for three weeks. It's the longest book in the Bible. And we just sent out a survey, which many of you filled out, which was super helpful. Thank you for doing that if you filled it out. Um... And we just asked a couple of questions real quick to to see how things are going. And we got a lot of responses, um, some great comments, and some great questions back. So, in the podcast today, I just want to take a little bit of time to address some of your comments, some of your questions, and some of the challenges of doing this project together. So, Let's jump right in. The first question that I want to answer is really simple, and it's this. Why is reading through the Bible in a year so hard? Uh, One person wrote, quote, reading the Bible has been harder than I ever expected. And I think a lot of us would agree, right? A lot of things have made this project hard. A lot of things make reading through the Bible in a whole year hard, especially Again, when we're in the Old Testament a whole lot right now, and I'll talk specifically about some Old Testament stuff in a bit, but, but let me highlight first a couple of things that I think make this project hard. Uh, first, um, reading the Bible in a year, it just requires a lot of long and patient discipline that we rarely give to anything else in life. And, and I think we just have to acknowledge this. Think about this for a second. How many projects do you work on for an entire year, right? How many home projects do you work on five days a week for 52 weeks straight, right? Most of us don't work on work projects that long, right? We, we just don't do projects that are this long that require a whole different kind of resilience and grit and determination and discipline and patience, Um, And so doing something like this, even though it's maybe just 15 or 20 minutes a day, five days a week for 52 weeks straight, it requires some muscles, if you will, that we don't use a lot in the rest of our daily lives, okay? Um, So sometimes we use these, these, I guess you could say endurance muscles when we go through hard times, but again, that's more perseverance and enduring something that's difficult or hard, right? That's enduring a difficult situation in our lives maybe for a few weeks, maybe even for a few months, but the difficult situation is something we hope will end. It's something where we're longing for it to end. It's something that we want to resolve as quickly as possible. But that's not the way it is with reading the Bible in a year. This is something we chose to do. This is something we want to do. This is something we entered into willingly, not like a difficult situation. This is something that we hope to get something out of. And so it's not just something to be endured, right? So it requires this level of resilience and grit and discipline that we just don't use in in other aspects of our life. So I think that's one of the most obvious reasons that reading through the Bible in a year is hard. But the second... Is And we said this all along, but I just want to acknowledge it again. The Bible is an old book. It's a really old book. And that makes it harder to connect with. We are reading ancient literature, right? And so there are all kinds of challenges that go along with that. Um, there's cultural differences, right? The culture that this book that was, th- these writings that we're reading, was written for, and their time is so different. And so to bridge that cultural difference is just hard. I just started reading a book uh, called The Covenant of Water. It's by a well-known author. It's a fiction book. It's about a story of these people living in India. And it's really well-written, and it's really good, and it's captivating. But even that's hard because there's just lots of stuff about India that I don't understand because of the cultural differences. So I have to bridge that. It's that way with the Bible as well. There's language differences, right? The Bible was not written in English. It's written in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. And when it's translated in English, it doesn't always translate perfectly. And that makes it hard. Um, If you've ever tried to read Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, right, you know that just the language, those were really originally written in Russian, when they're translated in English, it's just not as fluid as the way we speak English. And so that makes it hard to read. Um, The Bible is nonfiction, right? Um, And and we could talk about these, these terms fiction or nonfiction a different time. But for a lot of us, we mostly just read fiction. And when we do choose to read nonfiction, we choose something that is is a book or a topic or an idea that we can instantly learn something from, right? So when we read read a nonfiction book today, we're reading it in order to learn something immediately from it that we will apply to our lives. But that's not the way the Bible is, right? It's this nonfiction book that doesn't have something immediately applicable to our lives. So that makes it hard to read. In fact, the purpose of the biblical writings are are totally different than almost anything else we read. Okay, so that makes it naturally a lot harder than anything else we read. It's not meeting the need or the expectation that we go in with when we're reading it. So um, every time that you think, wow, this project of reading through the Bible is really hard, I just want to encourage you today by reminding you it should be hard. Like We need to expect this. It it, it it should be difficult, right? In fact, you should be patting yourselves on the back every single morning saying like, man, I am undertaking this challenge of reading something that was written so long ago in a different language from a different culture with a different purpose than almost anything else I ever read, right? That's a significant challenge. And the fact that I'm still going, whether you're behind or staying, like that should be something to be applauded. So just recognize If it feels hard, it should feel hard, okay? Now, here's a real practical question that several people have asked. Um, Can, as we're doing this project, can we use audio Bibles? In other words, can I just listen to it instead of actually reading it? And my answer is, of course you can, especially if that helps you to keep going. If, If you're running into challenges with actually reading it, and it would help you to keep going to listen to it some, then I definitely think you should do that. Now, of course, there are some downsides to listening instead of reading. So let me just highlight those real quick. Uh, When you listen to something, you're less focused because it's sort of only using one aspect of your brain, only one sense. Um, And uh, you're just more focused when you're actually reading something. Um, There's a different thought process that you use when you're reading something versus listening to something. When you're reading something, it requires uh, elements of imagination um, that you don't use when you're just listening to something. It's also easy to get distracted when you're just listening to something. In fact, we can multitask. In fact, it's easy to multitask. It's easy to just you know, go work out at the gym or be cleaning the house or be doing other work while we're listening to it. But that means our attention is divided and it's easy to get distracted and to not be fully paying attention. So in light of those downsides, I've definitely recommended if you can read, definitely read. And if you need to listen, if possible, try to limit that. So maybe just listen from time to time. Maybe just listen once or twice a week. Maybe just listen when you really need to catch up. Um, When you do listen, try not to multitask, right? If you're listening while you're driving or you're listening while you're working or cleaning or doing something else, you're probably not going to engage it as well. But with those caveats in mind, by all means, if it helps you to keep going from time to time to listen, definitely Uh, use audio Bibles if you need to. Um, A couple of suggestions we've given, uh, the version app on your phone, or or also it's called the Bible app oftentimes, has a lot of great audio Bibles. You can just use those right in the app. There's also an app called Dwell. Um, It's paid, so it costs some money, but um, it has a number of audio Bibles that are read in a pretty cool way. And so um, you can check out, I know at least one person who's using the dwell app and and it's been really helpful for them. So you could check that out as well. Uh, Here's another question that I've gotten. If I get behind, how can I catch up? (laughs) And how many of us have not gotten behind? Nobody is raising their hand. Like I've gotten behind, like we've all had days, or maybe even weeks where we've gotten behind. Okay. So how do you catch up if you get significantly behind, like more than a few days, a week, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two? Like, how do you catch up? Well, I'll share with you a few tips that I've learned. Also just tips I've heard from other people and how they've caught up and what's worked for them. Um, one way to catch up is to just block out some time on Saturday morning or Sunday afternoon, doesn't have to be those times, but a lot of people say like, that's when I have some free time. So block out literally one to two hours and go to a coffee shop. One person I know does that. They regularly go to a coffee shop on Saturday mornings. Their spouse takes care of the kids. They get away. And they just sit there, and for a couple hours, they catch up whenever they need to. Going somewhere, maybe away from your house, away from chores, away from your apartment, definitely removing work or other distractions, not having your computer, maybe not even taking your phone with you, um, that makes it easier uh, to focus. So find a few blocks of time where you can do that. Um, As I mentioned, you might use the audio Bible. uh, That might help you catch up. Now, actually, listening to the Bible takes about the same amount of time as reading the Bible, so it's not going to make it go faster, um, but it may be easier on your brain. Um, maybe you just need to give your reading brain some time to rest, and so maybe just you know listening for an hour or two one day will help you catch up for a while. Um, my number one suggestion for catching up, and I've mentioned this in a couple of emails, and I just want to drive this home is to do a media fast for one week, all right? What that means is you take an entire week off from screen-based media, so especially your TV and your phone. Um, Because here's the deal. What most people think and believe is, I've gotten way behind and I'm just too busy and I just don't have enough time to catch up, right? A lot of us have said, And I feel this too. Um, Life is just getting in the way of me continuing to do this. Like, it's just hard because I just have so many things going on in life. But let's be completely honest with ourselves. Very few of us are actually too busy to do this. All right? We spend so much time on our phones and our TVs that we don't even realize and most of that is just for entertainment's sake okay the average person spends 8 hours a day on their phone and their TV okay you probably think that's not me i don't spend that much time you probably do you're not even aware of it but let's just let's give you the benefit of the doubt well, let's pretend you're not the average person let's pretend you only spend half the amount of time on your phone or TV as everyone else that's still 4 hours a day So if you were to do a media fast and it's exactly like it sounds, a fast, right? With food is when you like skip a meal and you just don't do it. A fast with media is when you decide I'm going to take a week or let's just say five days. I'm going to take five days and I'm not going to surf on the internet. I'm not going to watch any of my TV shows. I'm going to not watch Netflix or Apple TV. I'm not going to do any social media. I'm just going to, I'm just I'm not gonna read any news or blogs or any of that. Like I'm just gonna give that up for five days. And let's say you're not the average person and you spend half the amount, that's four hours a day. You just saved 20 hours in your schedule over five days. Okay? Without sacrificing much. I mean, you basically sacrificed entertainment. You didn't sacrifice anything necessary in your life. So 20 hours, like that is so much time. You can easily find the time in your schedule. And so the issue for most of us is not really busyness or it is busyness, but it's not really that the time isn't there. We have the time. It's just whether we want to make it a priority to catch up or to do this discipline or to do this practice. All right. So consider doing a media fast one week. You will have all sorts of time in your schedule and then take an hour or two hours every single night and start reading through big chunks of scripture and you can catch up way quicker than you think you will. In fact, you'll find yourself being bored because you'll have so much time back into your schedule. Uh, One other thing before we move to another question. Um, If you have gotten significantly behind and you want to catch up, that's awesome. Uh, Try to catch up. But as you catch up, I would say this. You might just think, about tweaking your reading habits going forward. Because if you keep getting behind, then there's something about your reading habits that is putting you behind. And just catching up once is not going to change the fact that you will continue to keep getting behind. So you'll just have to ask the question, why do I keep getting behind? Am I doing too much? And so maybe, again, you back off media, maybe you change something in your schedule, maybe you decide, well, I'm reading at the end of every day at night and I just get too busy and then I'm too tired at night and that's why I keep getting behind. And so maybe you need to switch and you need to read first thing in the morning when you're awake, when you haven't hit the ground running and you're not tired and all that. Just changing or tweaking that habit of how you read every day will help you not get behind in the future. So think about those things as well. All right, here's another question to ask. What is the goal of this project. Now, I wrote this question. Nobody has actually come up to me and asked me this question. Norton, What can you remind me of the goal of this project? But I think this might be the most important question we can ask, especially when we're right now in the middle of this project in this part of reading the Old Testament prophets after reading the Old Testament history. And it's just really hard, right? This is a good moment to go back and ask what Is the goal of this project? And if I could summarize it in as short a sentence as I can, I would say this The goal is to engage the whole story of the Bible. And the reason, one of the reasons this is hard or challenging, or that we need to remember this, is because many of us have never actually done this. We're not used to engaging the whole story of the Bible in this way. In fact, most of us only engage bits and pieces of the Bible here and there. Think about it. When you hear a sermon, it's usually about one little passage of the Bible. When you read a section of the Bible, you're reading one little section. When you're a part of a Bible study, you're probably studying one little you know, section, one passage, one story, one topic, Right? And, and those things have their place. It's not that they're wrong. I mean, imagine me trying to preach a sermon every week on the entire Bible. Like It's just not practical. So we, we can only, for the most part, engage the Bible in bits and pieces and little chunks here and there. But if you just back up and think for a second, what are the limitations of the way that we often engage the Bible in bits and pieces? What does that actually do to us? So so let me give you an analogy. I don't know if this will work, but um, imagine growing up and hearing this story about this guy named Frodo. He's not actually a guy. He's this thing called a hobbit, and he drops a ring into Mount Doom. (laughs) And you hear the story over and over and over about Frodo dropping the ring into Mount Doom. And and you know there's more to the story because that doesn't sound like an interesting story. Like one day he just drops a ring into Mount Doom. What's going on there? And you find out there's more to the story, right? You find out that there's this great battle at this place called Minas Tirith that happens before that. And then there's this other character. His name is Aragorn, and he's some kind of king, and he plays a role. There's also some other characters in the story. And at some point, somebody explains a general storyline, actually, Frodo found this ring, and then he figured out it needed to be destroyed, and so he went and destroyed it in Mount Doom. And and, and you hear sort of the general story, but that's it. And then whenever you want to learn more about the story, you're handed these three books that are the story, and all you ever do is just open one of the books to a random page, and you start reading it, right? (laughs) And of course, whenever you open one of these books to a random page and start reading it, it doesn't make sense. You don't understand really what's going on. You're thinking, "What? Why are the why are these people in Rohan? Why are they defending this castle called Helm's Deep? I thought the goal of this story is for this guy named Frodo to destroy the ring. This has nothing to do with the ring. Frodo's not even in this story. Like what is going on? Like it would seem so weird and strange because you're just taking bits and pieces and it at some point If you really wanted to know the story, if you wanted to understand the story, if you wanted to engage the story, if you wanted to appreciate the story, you're going to have to sit down and read the entire story. And you take all three books and you don't read them backwards. You don't read bits and pieces here and there. You don't pick apart single sentences. You just start with the first book in the beginning and you plow your way through the whole story. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's why we're reading the whole thing to engage the whole story of the Bible. Now, the method for doing that is to do it in a year. Uh, we picked a year because it's an easy marker, it's somewhat doable. You can read, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day, and you can make it through the whole thing in a year. Uh, we came up with a plan. Um, There's lots of different ways we could have designed the plan, but we tried to design it the way that we thought would be the easiest and the most accessible, that would still follow the general storyline and still follow things chronologically and help us engage the whole story, right? But don't mistake the plan for the goal. (laughs) The goal is not to follow the plan perfectly, right? The goal is not to stay up with the plan every single day, to check off every single day on the calendar and to be perfect, and, uh, and to read every single time so that if you read sometimes, but then you have to listen on audio, have you failed the goal? No, no. You just deviated from the plan slightly. If you finish in January or you finish in February or you finish in March, instead of finishing on February, uh, instead of finishing on December 31st, have you failed the whole goal? No, of course not. You just read it in a year and a month or a year and two months instead of a year. There's no, there's nothing about a year that there's nothing that says you have to be perfect at this. If you don't follow the plan perfectly, right? I know one friend got to Proverbs and they were kind of behind and they're like, I just can't do Proverbs right now. So they skipped Proverbs and they're going to come back and read Proverbs, but it helped them kind of get back on track and stay up with everyone else. If you did that, like, have you failed the goal? no. You just tweaked the plan a little bit for your own life, but you haven't failed the goal. The goal is not to follow the plan perfectly. The goal is to help you engage the whole story of the Bible, generally in the order that it was written, in the order that it was put together, so that you can understand the big picture plot line and flow of the story. And if you don't end up doing it exactly the way the plan was put together, you have not failed. The goal is not perfection, right? The goal is engagement, which also means if you are engaging it, if you're still engaging and you're doing it and whether you're like perfectly following the plan or you're a few days behind, um, then you're fulfilling the goal. If you're engaging, you're fulfilling the goal. If you're confused about some things, that's engagement. You're still fulfilling the goal. If you're being challenged on some things, if you're finding out you really don't like the Old Testament prophets, if you're wrestling with new questions that you've never had or never wrestled with before, that's good. That's engagement. You are still fulfilling the goal. So don't let those things make you think that you're doing something wrong or that you're failing or that it's not doing what's supposed to. The goal is to help you engage the whole story of the Bible and keep that goal in mind. Now, that leads to another question that I want to address. And this is the biggest one. And this is the main one that we'll spend the rest of our time in this podcast on. Then I'll wrap up. And the question is this, why Is the Old Testament so hard to read and so hard to relate to? And this is probably the question I've heard the most um, from most of you. This is the question I feel too as I am reading this again. um, Because so many of us have a hard time reading the Old Testament, right? This has been the biggest challenge so far. It's the biggest source of angst. It's probably the biggest source of discouragement. Uh, a few people told me um, I almost gave up after Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Right? I'm sure some people did. Uh, others told me like I almost gave up after Joshua and Judges. Uh, others said that when we got to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and we just read story after story of wars and violence, especially at the hands of this guy named David, who's supposed to be like a good guy, right? But there's all these long stories of war and violence and all this stuff, and I'm I'm just ready to give up right and and i'm thinking the whole time like we haven't even gotten to the prophets yet oh my goodness because this is really hard to relate to all of these old testament books especially reading them all in a row like we've done in fact one person specifically wrote this on the survey that we just sent out they wrote back this they said the majority of the old testament is legitimately disturbing And when I read that comment, you know what I thought? I thought, yeah, you're right. (laughs) It is. I, I couldn't agree more. A lot of it is disturbing. The majority of it, maybe, is disturbing. So if you've been one of those people who's been reading and you're wondering, am I the only one that thinks a lot of this is disturbing? The answer is no, you're not, right? We all think a lot of this is disturbing. Here's what someone else wrote. They said, I'm more than a month behind, and I'll be honest, I've sort of given up on reading the Old Testament stuff. It all just seems awful and full of things not relevant to today's society. Like I'm reading a bad history book instead of a guide to life. Now let me pause here because I think this is a great comment that we can all Relate to. And I think it's really, really insightful because actually, in the comment, I think this person is addressing the very question that they're raising. Because here's what they're saying they're saying it's like I'm reading a history book instead of a guide to life. And that couldn't be more true because the Old Testament was never written to be a guide to life in 21st century. America. We have to remember the Old Testament, first and foremost, is not one book. It's a compilation of a whole bunch of different books written by a bunch of different authors. So that's why it kind of skips around. It has a whole bunch of different stuff. And it is a collection of history books. Now, there's some other genres of literature in there. It's not just pure history, right? There's there's poems and songs and proverbs and parables and short stories and speeches, right? But in general... What these writings are doing are telling the story or the history of ancient Israel. And if we expect these writings to be more like a modern self-help guide, then we will always be greatly disappointed. Now, I know this person didn't use the word self-help, and I don't use that derogatory uh, in a derogatory sense. But I, I actually think that's probably what we're all looking for. We've all maybe been given or inherited this idea that when we come to the Bible, it's going to be this self-help guide. It's going to help us live our lives now. It's going to be practical for us. It's going to give us the straightforward guidance on how to live our lives and how to practice our faith. And I would just say, if that is the expectation we bring to the Bible, then yes, we will be extremely disappointed, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, Think about it this way. Um, we wouldn't approach any other ancient history books this way, would we? Right? If we were reading the records of ancient Babylon, if we were reading the stories of the ancient Egyptian empire, if we were reading uh, the, the 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 collected writings and the preserved writings of the, the ancient Assyrian empire, and we were bringing those same expectations, or anyone else was bringing those same expectations, I'm going to read these old... Babylonian records, and uh, I hope they'll be relevant to my life, and they'll have give me some guidance on how to live my life. If we were doing that, we would be just as disappointed, right? We would know not to bring those expectations. We would know that it's not that we can't learn anything from ancient history, right? It's just that that's not the expectation we have when we start reading it, <laughs> It would take a lot of interpretation, a lot of translation, a lot of adaptation, a lot of application for us to discern some things that we might be able to learn from these ancient historical records that might be helpful in some form or fashion in modern life. We would never expect an old history book to do that easily or straightforwardly. So I would just say part of the problem is our expectations. And by the way, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not mostly our fault. It's just the way that we've often been trained to approach the Bible. If you grew up in church, uh, if you went to Sunday school, if you've heard lots of sermons, um, if you've read passages of the Bible or verses out of context, which is the way we read most verses and passages, If you've seen verses that are put on calendars, right, or verse of the day apps on your phone or screen wallpapers or Instagram or Facebook posts that have a nice verse, right, what we've been doing or what we've been trained in every time we see the Bible this way or every time we read it this way is we're trained to think that the Bible is a collection of a whole bunch of nice sayings that apply to our lives, particularly today, because we see this nice saying on a screen and it applies to our life and I need some comfort and that was comforting and encouraging. And so I'm just trained to think of the Bible that way. But then you start plowing your way through the Old Testament, not skipping around, but literally just reading all the parts sequentially in a row. And you realize like 95% in the Old Testament is not that way, right? It's not nice verses that are can be taken out of context and applied to our lives today. In fact, the other 95% of the Bible is filled with story or at least the Old Testament is filled with stories of violence and wrath and rape and killing and dysfunctional families and broken political systems and ancient legal codes that feel barbaric to to modern people, social injustice, right? And we just read this over and over and over and it's really disturbing. When what we were expecting were a bunch of nice verses that would help us live our lives today. Quick example. Uh, Jeremiah has this famous verse that if you grew up in church, at least in the American church, you probably heard it or learned it at one point. Jeremiah 29, 11. I don't even have it in front of me, but I know what it says. It says, like, uh, it's God speaking. And he says, for I know I, the plans that I have for you and they're plans for prosperity and well-being, right? And it's this comforting verse that God is always looking out for us. And no matter how bad things get in our lives, God has a plan for our lives. And the plan is always going to be for prosperity and our well-being. Things will always work out, right? That's Jeremiah 29, 11. If you've been reading Jeremiah with us over the last three weeks, (laughs) you'd know that the other 99.9% of Jeremiah is brutal, right? Corpses are being thrown in cisterns, not once, not twice, but three different times. Jeremiah is not about Jeremiah 29, 11, right? That is a blip on the radar of most of Jeremiah which is pretty difficult to read. So, I just want to be honest with you and if if need be, reset our calibrations and our expectations. Reading through the Old Testament should be disturbing. It should be hard for us to swallow. It should feel irrelevant. Particularly because of the historical and cultural distance, there is no work that you're going any work that you read that is three thousand years old is going to feel irrelevant, right? Nothing about an ancient work will feel relevant up to our day, our time, and our lives today, right? It, and it should be, and it should feel like this. You should be asking this question quite regularly: Why should I keep reading this, right? It's just getting darker and darker and darker, and I'm having a hard time figuring out how this applies to our lives. And if you're asking that question, A, that's a good thing. You should be asking that question. If you weren't asking that question, if I saw you and you were like, Jeremiah's been awesome, I would... I would have my doubts and questions about what's... Like, you should feel like this is disturbing and it's getting darker. And I don't know why we keep reading this. Why are we doing this? Like, you should be asking that question. So that's normal. That's expected. And as you're asking that question, here's what I would say back. I would say the reason I think it's so important to keep reading these dark texts is because the world we still live in is dark. Because the problems of our world are still quite deep. Because what sin and selfishness and pride does to people on an individual level, but also on a communal level and on a cultural and a societal and a national level is so dark and so complex and so disturbing that I don't think you can fully understand the message and the life and the sacrifice of Jesus if you don't fully understand and wade through the darkness of the story first. See, I don't think we can really comprehend who Jesus is and what he said and what he did until we have fully engaged and read and waded through the Old Testament. I mean, practically speaking, you can't fully understand Jesus without understanding the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus is always drawing on Old Testament imagery, Old Testament history, Old Testament literature. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Jeremiah and Isaiah left and right. right? And those are some of the hardest books we've read so far. But Jesus quotes them all the time. So clearly they were important to Jesus. And what he's saying and teaching and trying to communicate has something to do with what those books are about. In fact, when Jesus shows up at the temple... In Jerusalem, a few days before he's crucified. This is described in all the Gospels. It's the last week of his life, right before he goes to the cross. He shows up at the very temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus gets really, really angry when he's there. And it's like Jesus goes into prophet mode. Just like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And in fact, Jesus quotes Jeremiah and Isaiah to all the people that are there at the temple and what Jesus is trying to communicate when he talks to them and he gets angry and he quotes Jeremiah and Isaiah is, is essentially what Jesus is saying is there are some consequences that are about to fall. There is some judgment that is about to, There are things happening here at the temple today in Jesus's time that are bringing great consequences and great judgment. And if you want to understand what Jesus is trying to say in that moment, well, you have to read Jeremiah and Isaiah. Because Jeremiah and Isaiah are making pronouncements about the temple structure and about Jerusalem and about the nation. And what Jesus is basically doing is channeling all of that to give a message to his people. And so if you want to understand Jesus, you got to read Jeremiah and Isaiah. Now there's a key difference between the two. In Jeremiah and Isaiah, those two prophets are saying that the full force of the consequences of the people of Israel, the way that they have abandoned God and forsaken God and rebelled against God for hundreds of years. And God has pleaded with them to return to him for hundreds of years, and they don't and they won't. And the full force of the consequences of their abandonment and their rebellion is about to fall on the nation. Jesus shows up and he pronounces the same consequences on the temple and the temple structures and the temple leadership and the leadership of the nation and the people of Israel. And then do you know what Jesus does? He takes the full consequences and judgment upon himself a few days later. And he asks forgiveness of the people that crucified him. You see, Jesus is doing something so much bigger than just dying on a cross for our forgiveness and for our salvation 2,000 years later. And at one level, we know Jesus is doing something big, right? But we tend to make it personal. We tend to make it individualistic. We tend to make it Jesus died on the cross for my sins and if if that's all that it is, if it's just Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, then you can pretty much throw out the whole Old Testament because the whole Old Testament is going to feel irrelevant, right? <laughs> but what if Jesus' death on the cross was about something so much bigger? What if it wasn't just about my sins and your sins? What if it had to do with nations and societies and families and communities and justice and immigration and ecology and the environment and the land and war and violence and forgiveness and reconciliation and generational sin, and the trauma, and the darkness, and our work, and our vocation, and the rest that we need. What if it has to do with all aspects of life? And what if Jesus comes, not as this um, disembodied, like, get out of jail free card. Jesus isn't like a ticket to heaven, but he's an actual person. He's embodied, and he is enculturated in a people, and in a nation, the nation of Israel, that is failing on all of these different levels. And and Israel itself was supposed to be part of the answer. That's how the Old Testament sort of begins in in Genesis, that God is going to create this nation, and they are going to bring God's message of justice and forgiveness and reconciliation and light to the entire world. But as one famous scholar, N.T. Wright, says, he says, what happens when the people who are supposed to be the rescuers, bringing the message of rescue and deliverance and redemption to the whole world. What happens when the rescuers need rescuing? That's the story we're reading in the Old Testament. The rescuers are in need of rescuing because the world is so deeply broken that Jesus comes and he does what Israel cannot do. And it's not just for individuals It's for the redemption and the healing and the wholeness of the entire world on every single level, right? If I can go back to the Lord of the Rings analogy again, it's not perfect. But again, it's like reading Frodo destroying the ring and thinking that's the whole story, but it's not. It's not. Frodo is trying to save Middle-earth, the the history and the future of Middle-earth hangs in the balance. And you don't know that and you don't understand that unless you know the entire story and what's hanging in the balance. Until the ring is destroyed, Middle-earth will not be safe. Nothing will be right. But you know what else? Frodo isn't just saving Middle-earth. He's saving the Shire. Right? It is his people. It is his community. It is his neighbors. It is his home that is under threat. And we're constantly reminded of that throughout Lord of the Rings, right? That somehow the Shire represents all of the people, all of the communities, all of the places of Middle Earth. And the Shire is in need of rescue and salvation, even though it's far away from what's happening at Mount Doom. But it all goes back to the Shire. It starts with the Shire. The Shire is the place and the people that are in need of salvation from the evil that is overtaking Middle Earth. And so the Shire, in a sense, represents all the people of Middle Earth, just like Israel is the place and the people that represent all of humanity. And so the story that we're reading in the Old Testament it's about this one people, this one nation, right? 3,000 years ago, different culture, different customs, different everything, different values than we have today. And so it's hard and we have to cross all that distance and all those things. But we have to wade into their story. Because as we do that, we will see in their story our story. And we will recognize that the rescuers themselves need rescuing and that what Jesus came to do was so much Bigger than any of us could ever imagine. So, let me wrap up by saying if you are discouraged as you're reading the Old Testament, you should be. If you are disturbed, you should be. If there are times that you are offended, you should be. All right, now, there's a separate question. Within all of this, it comes up a lot, and um, it, 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 it's because we get so offended um, when we read some of the brutality and the violence in the Old Testament, and what's offensive to us is not just the brutality and the violence. I mean, that's part of it, although let's not forget how brutal and violent we are in our modern culture, right? Right. Just think about the mass killings, the mass destruction. Think about the weapons of mass destruction used in our wars today. We kill people on a much greater level than was ever happening in the ancient world. So let's not judge ancient people too much. But the problem is not so much to the brutality and violence in the Old Testament. It's that sometimes the Old Testament portrays God as the one unleashing the brutality and violence. God is the one unleashing his wrath and his anger. And so for some of us, that's the hard part to swallow. That's the part that seems so different from the way that Jesus portrays God. Now, I don't have time to address this today because that's a whole different question. And I'm going to partly address it in the very next message in our series on the prophets. Because... The prophets talk about God's anger and God's wrath a lot. So we'll unpack God's anger and God's wrath. Why is God so angry? And is that really the kind, this angry, wrathful God? Is that really the kind of God that we believe in? Because that seems so different from the God that Jesus portrays. So be on the lookout for that. Please listen to that message. It's not going to resolve all of the tension. I don't have all of the answers But I do want to share with you a few ideas from the prophets themselves that I think can be really helpful. And then the only other suggestion I have is to simply keep going. (laughs) Don't give up now. right? I know it's hard. I know it is difficult at times. I know there's some questions being raised that there aren't great answers to. But trust in the practice. Trust in the process. Trust that something, and I would say the Holy Spirit, led you to undertake this project. And um, you've hit that place where all the initial excitement has worn off, but you haven't yet experienced the payoff, right? The finish line still feels far away. Now, some of you might say that happened in February, (laughs) right? I don't know. But certainly it's happening now in the thick of the Old Testament prophets. This is the moment when it would be easiest to give up. This is the moment where there's no light left from the, the beginning and there's not much light to see at the end of the tunnel. So I just want to say, do everything you can to not give up at this point. Let's keep doing this together. I'm doing it with you. I'm reading every day with you. More than a hundred other people are doing this too in our community. Let's keep cheering each other on. Let's trust that there is something that God is teaching or showing us, even in the dark parts, even in the Judges and the Jeremiah's, right? Because doesn't God teach us and meet us in the dark parts of our lives? Isn't that where God often shapes us the most? And of course, we don't realize it at the time. In fact, at the time, it's in the dark times that God seems most absent. And that's what some of you have said. Like, I don't see God in these texts. I don't see God in these writings. He feels absent right now, the God that we know, in some of the writings that we're reading. Just like he feels absent in those dark seasons in our lives. But we usually look back on those dark seasons, and we realize God was way more present than we were aware of at the time, and he was way more at work than we could ever see. So let's keep trusting that God is present, and God is at work, and God is doing something as we read and engage the story of God together.